We're in Ephesians, in Ephesians chapters 1 through 3, we have been reminded that followers of Jesus Christ are provided with the immeasurable, the rich, the multifaceted grace that God has poured out on undeserving people. Last Sunday, we finished at the end of chapter 3 talking about the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of his love for us. And that is to be the driving force of what we are about and what we do. Not because we get something, but because we've gotten something. Listen, the follower of Jesus Christ has been called to something. You're a follower of Jesus Christ. You've been called to something. You've not just been given something, but you have been called to something incredible. And you and I are to live our lives in a manner worthy of what we have been given in Christ. But then the big question okay, but how? Right? How? I mean, how are we supposed to do that? And this is the cool part. This is now exactly where Paul is going in the letter to the Ephesians. In chapters 4 through 6, it is hitting on the how kind of stuff. Like, how, Doug? How, Paul? Well, this is how. Okay? And that's where he's going. And it's interesting. It's so interesting to me. Of all the things that Paul could be talking about, uh, referring to how to live for Christ, the first thing he gets at is living within the body of Christ. Not just my own little individual world, but living within the body of Christ. I mean, he created the church. He, Christ is the head of it. He has empowered it, and he's designed it to accomplish his purposes in the world and in you and I. And Paul talks about how do we live together? How do we live together? And he's intended for you and I, believers in Christ, he's intended that we live together. This idea that I'll take Jesus, thank you, but forget being part of a local group of believers, where's that? I'm just telling you, that is not in the scriptures. God has called us to be a part of a local group of believers to be able to live for you, for him. Uh, Christian, you'd call to walk in a manner worthy, and that was call was to be done together. Now, what does together look like? I mean, walking together, what does it look like? Well, here's what I want to do. I want to spur our thinking on by watching this video of two people and how they go about living and working together.
Wow, huh? Wow. Uh, team Hoyt, powerful stuff. Together as a team, they accomplished far more than they would ever have accomplished separate. I've seen that booker 20 times. Can't get past it. I love the statement. Rick couldn't compete with his dad. And dad wouldn't compete with his son. Here's my question for us. Do we have that same kind of perspective regarding the church? Do you have that kind of perspective regarding the church? Do I have that kind of perspective regarding the church? Because let me tell you something. That is God's perspective. When I became a believer in Christ, I became part of the body of believers. And God designed it that way. And I'm to be part of that. I'm to be part of you and you're to be part of me. And we're to be working together. Team Harvest! Right? Team Harvest. We have a divine call in our lives, and we need to live worthy of the call that God has given to us. But how do we live that, Doug? Well, that's where we're starting to go. Listen, together, together, God calls us about being people that are together. And in a world that is lacking together and in churches that are lacking together, let's purpose to be a kind of place this is all about together. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6 is what we're going to cover today. Turn to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Hey, Team Harvest, that's our playbook. That's where we're going today. And let's dig into it. But first, let me pray. God, I thank you so much for the ability to be able to be here with these people here today. And I pray that together would become a defining characteristic of this local church. The team harvest would be all about accomplishing big things for you. Things that we would never be able to accomplish alone. And God, I thank you that that's already happening. Last night, just with having people over to our house and just hearing how so many of them are just mentioning this is a place that has been different than other places they've been to. To you be the glory. God, as we go into our text today, would you help us to increase our passion and our practice of what being together is? Because together in the body starts with me. We pray this in your name. Together. Amen. Amen, right? Let's roll. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Very interesting. I therefore. Well, therefore is always, you always ask the question, what? What's it there for? Well, it's because of chapters 1 through 3. It kind of hit on that already. We've been brought to life in Christ. And out of that and all that took place as we talked last week about all that God has done. He's pulled us. He's redeemed us. He's reconciled us. He's forgiven us. He's equipped us. He has made us a child. He has made us an heir of his. For all that's taken place, all of that, therefore, in light of all of that stuff, Paul has something to say. And by the way, notice Paul, a prisoner for the Lord. 
It was the same statement in chapter 3, verse 1. Paul, a prisoner for the Lord. What an incredible view of the sovereignty of God. Just a, he's writing under house arrest in Rome. And he's saying, I'm not a prisoner of the, 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 the Jerusalem Jewish leaders who lied about me to get me in this condition. He's not blaming it on them, even though they did lie about him. And they did cause him to be in this situation, if you will, from a human perspective. He didn't blame it on that. And he didn't blame it on the Romans. I'm a prisoner of Romans, the big dirt balls. That's not what's going on. Paul is sitting here saying, listen, I'm a prisoner for Jesus Christ. If that means I'm under house arrest in Rome, fine. I'm still about Christ because he is in sovereign control. Incredible. Just incredible. I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you. Now, this word urge is a warm, personal uh, word that's being used. It's an, it, it's an intense plea. It's a personal plea. It's not a, a command. It's not a far-off person saying, listen, do this. And they're like, I don't even know who you are. This is the kind of thing where it's like, listen, I urge you. I, I urge you. And there's a relationship there. And this is an intense personal plea. It's not a suggestion. It's not a, hey, if you would like to, would you do this? This is an intense plea. And he urging you. The you is not a singular. The you is a plural. The you is referring to the body of believers in Ephesus, the body of believers in Asia Minor. So when he's talking this, make sure you and I understand. He's not just saying this to you and to me alone. He's saying this, in essence, to you people. Very important. Very important as we go into this. You. I urge you. I urge you to walk. Uh, The word walk is critical here. It's talking about one's lifestyle. It's about day-by-day living. It's the walking process. It's how one conducts him or herself. Uh, in normal life. It includes our thinking, our worldview, and what we do. It's how we live holistically. It's not just at church. It's not just at work. It's not just at school. It's not just at home. It's all of life he's talking about here. The walking all of life. This verb is the central verb for the coming chapters. In fact, take a look at me. Uh, Not at me. (laughs) With me. It's there in verse 1. You look at chapter uh, 4, verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Then chapter 5, verse 2, and walk in love. Then chapter 5, verse 7, or I'm sorry, verse 8 towards the end, walk as children of light. Chapter 5, verse 15, look carefully then how you walk. This is the joining verb through all this stuff. In other words, Paul is not just kind of listing, oh, ah, this, and oh, ah, that, no, ah, why not that? He's joining this through, and he's talking about our life. So in the coming Sundays, really all the way up through Thanksgiving, all of this is joined through this verb of walk, our life together as individuals and believers in Christ and as a group together as a local body not a solitary walk he's talking about a community walk here in fact it's interesting what we're going to hit here in just a little bit all the characteristics that are talked about you can't do these alone they, they don't apply to alone people he's going to give five characteristics here in a little bit none of them apply to being alone they have to have people around in order to make any sense we'll get there in just a minute Then he says, you walk, you walk in a worthy manner. It's walking appropriately, a walk that matches, a walk that matches the high position as a child of God. 
Uh, we call the opposite of that hypocrisy. It's like the person who's wealthy and who's living like a pauper. What's with that? It's like the person who's poor and living like they're wealthy. What's with that? It's like the person who is healthy and living like they're sick. What's with that? Okay, this is about an appropriate walk, one that fits the practical day-to-day living matches our spiritual position in Christ. And notice here then, he goes, a walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you were called. That's really cool. The, the, the literal translation here would actually be, you have been called to a call. I like that. You have been called to a call. It's kind of like if we're home. And, and Karen says, Doug, you got a phone call. I just got a call about a call. We were called to a call. We're called to do something. What is it? You have been called to something. Listen, God's Lord, the Lord's sovereign, effectual calling on your life through salvation, that is the call on your life, but you have also been called to that something. You've been called to an amazing, spectacular life journey in Christ. And this idea of I received Jesus Christ as my Savior to get to heaven, I'm all for that. But if it stops right there, you're not understanding the call. You have been called to be walking for Christ now. Right now. And that's how Paul sets it up. So how do we live that out together? Right? That's the big question at the moment. Right? Or you're saying right because that's what I'm saying it is. Okay? But that's the big question. Well, let's take a look. Let's give look at five requirements for living out what together looks like, Paul gives us here. Five essential attitudes on which together is predicated. And as we go through all this, just think about it. All of these had to have been applied to Team Hoyt. But here's the big difference. You look at Team Hoyt and you go, oh, my word, so cool. Oh, my word, so cool. But I don't know where they are spiritually. I have no idea. But imagine this. If that kind of together, if that kind of team took place with God's people, empowered by the word and the spirit of God, you think that has some impact? That ain't nothing to the impact that can be happening when these five things are being put into place together. Let's take a look at them. Let's get at them. Verse 2, with all humility, that's the first one, with all humility, I must be humble. Say it with me. I must be humble. All humility. It's the thinker to judge with lowliness. It's esteeming myself as small and others as big. It's the opposite of pride. It's the opposite of arrogance. I am not life's idol. Listen, I am not all about me. But man, don't you struggle with it? Don't leave me alone, man. Don't we struggle with it? But God's call is that we are not to live about me. Scripture says that in the, time, in the end times, people will become lovers of themselves. <laughs> that kind of scene's going on. Proverbs 11:2 When pride comes then comes disgrace but with the humble comes wisdom. 
James 4, 6, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Uh, Turn a couple pages over in your Bible to the right, to Philippians chapter 2. Let me read, uh, starting in verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, Philippians chapter 2, verse 1, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do you not like get the idea together right there already? Verse 3, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Verse 4, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he, Christ Jesus, was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He was God in the flesh, but made himself nothing taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's humility. And how amazing it is we have a Savior who puts out there the example of what humility is by his own very life. It's interesting, the Romans and the Greeks, they did not even have a word for humility. They didn't even have a word in the vocabulary of what humility was all about. It was viewed as a pitiable weakness. Key statement. I must be humble. I need to get over me. Sorry, but you got to get over you. Oh, and by the way, I got to get over me. Right? Understand this, though. We are neither worms nor are we God. We're not worms, useless little things for fishing and having things eat us. We're not worms, but we're not God. Common traits for a life weak in humility. I've got five I noted down here. One is a sense of entitlement. I deserve everything. Do you have that view? You go around in life just thinking, I deserve everything. I deserve Alexis. I deserve this. I deserve a uh, free health care. I deserve this. I, I deserve everything. Can I ask a question? Like, where does the Bible say that? I'm not getting political here. I'm just getting on this sense of entitlement reality. Listen, the fact is I deserve nothing. No, 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 I do deserve something. The scriptures say because of my sin, I deserve eternal separation from God and eternal hell. Well, Doug, you're not very nice. I know. I don't like it either. But there's hope because of Christ. One of the traits of uh, struggling with humility is entitlement. Another is just self-centered conversations. My conversation centers around me. I just question, do you ask questions of other people when you're with them? Are you genuinely interested in learning about other people? I will tell you, in my career, oftentimes getting together with people, I am shocked by how few questions people ask the other direction. It's kind of interesting. Uh, Humility can show up in a sense of entitlement or lack of. Lack of humility can show up in a self-centered conversation. Third, lack of humility can show up in the reality of living in the fear of man. I'm controlled by what others think, by what he, she, she thinks, she thinks, they think. 
Isn't it interesting how people that want to be completely unique and different from normal culture always end up dressing alike? That always intrigues me. Uh, fear of man, instead of thinking what others think, it's about what God thinks. The fourth uh, sign of a weak humility is a critical spirit. I'm hard on others instead of being hard on myself. Matthew chapter 7 talks about, get the log out of my eye before I get the speck out of yours. Here's a translation. I view my sin bigger than your sin. I take my sin more seriously than other sins. And lastly, uh, am I a self-servant or am I an other servant? Self-servant is a sign of humility. In other words, when I come in somewhere, am I always about what are they going to do for me? Or am I about what can I do for them? Together requires being humble. I need to get over me. Now, that's the first rung of the ladder, if you will. The second one is what? Together. Gentle. Okay, so we've got the base of humility. The next rung on the ladder, by the way, thanks for the stage because this works perfectly for this illustration. The next rung of the ladder is gentleness. Gentleness. I must be gentle. Gentleness. Nothing to do with weakness. It's not timidity. It's not indifference. It's not cowardice. It's not the person over in the corner who, like, you have a really hard time getting any of them to say anything or involved in anything. That's not humility. In fact, that's the opposite of humility. That's self-pride in self, ultimately. But humility is a term that was used of tamed wild animals. In other words, horses or lions, animals of power that were brought under control. A key term for gentleness is self-control. It's the times where the animal wants to, but has come to learn to put it under control. Why? Because the master has helped them come to a place where it's under control for the master's use. Horses and lions of great power, yet under control. That's gentleness. Don't you always love those pictures with those massive studly guys? Definitely not me, just holding a little baby. You know, it's like they could just like squish that thing and, you know, with their, with their bicep. And it's just, but they just hold it. Just so wonderfully. Sorry about that, moms at little ones. That didn't help. Gentleness. Think of the wind. The wind has incredible power. A tornado or a hurricane. And it just destruction. And we can just be an individual that walks around as just not gentle, but as a person that just brings destruction on everything that we come through. And there's just destruction after the wind has passed by. It's just damage back there. But yet within wind, it can be a gentle, soothing, glorious breeze. Sitting out in the backyard as the leaves are turning colors and it's out there. And there's just kind of this calm, moving sense of breeze. It's not stale and stagnant. It's just moving and you just go, smells like football in the air. Isn't it? And it's just glorious. Don't you love people like that? That it's just like you look at those people and you just go, they are just like a cool breeze. They just, when they go places and when they partake in things, they're just a blessing. That's what Paul says. And listen, if we are not humble, we are not going to be gentle. And if we're not with other people, humility is irrelevant. I mean, I'm humble. In a cave. Like, what's with that? 
But if I'm humble in the reality of things, I'm going to live that life out in gentleness. Together requires gentlemen. Key statement. I must be gentle. I need to handle you with care. You need to be gentle. You need to handle others with care. Are you a gentle person? Are you gentle in your words? Okay, no knocking of elbows of the person next to you. I'm seriously, I'm talking about you and not the person next to you. Are you gentle in your words? If not, why not? I think Paul would say it's because you're not a humble person. Get humble. Are your words gentle? Are your actions gentle? Are your attitude toward others gentle? Are you known for your gentleness? If so, praise God. But if not, you need to change because team players have to have gentleness. Team Hoyt. Did you see the gentleness? Power lived out in love and humility together. I must be humble. That means I need to get over me. I must be gentle. I need to handle you with care. Number three, what's the third thing? Patience. I must be patient. I need to give you room. Patience. Long-suffering. With me. Long-suffering. Okay, ready again. Okay, good. I like this. It's long-suffering. It's long-tempered. Not that I have a temper for a long time. But I'm long and slow until I get to the place where I have a temper. It's it's enduring discomfort without fighting back. I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus. Patience. Aristotle said the greatest Greek virtue was refusal to tolerate any insult and to have readiness to fight back. Uh, Jesus, if he were there in that discussion, he would go, not, opposite, eh. Aristotle, F on that one. Instead, he's talking about patience. 1 Thessalonians 5, 14, and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with them all. Hey, listen, All of us have annoying people in our lives. And sometimes we're them. And God says, be patient with them. Yeah, but Doug, you don't know how annoying they are. You're right, I don't. But God does. And he says, be patient. Patience is the largeness of soul that gives others room to mess up, time to learn and grow. Hey, teens question are you patient with your parents i'm just telling you with kids in college now i wish i could go back and do it again i mean i wish i could also be younger and have the experience and do it again there's things you learn teens your parents are working it out as they're going along are you patient with your parents hey parents are you patient with your teens are you patient with your kids giving them room to grow and to fail and to learn? Or are you just so impatient? It's like, now, 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 now. That's Ephesians 6, 4. We're going to be coming to that later on. Do not exasperate your kids. Singles, 
Are you patient with your roommate? Career? With God's timing in your life? Married couples, do you give your spouse room and time to learn, fail, and grow? Yeah, Doug, you have no idea how much time I've given them. Well, way to go. And continue it on because it's about long-suffering. Team Harvest, I'd ask you to be patient with me. And I commit to being joyfully patient with you. Because we're a team. It's about together. And impatient people don't make good team players. They just don't. So, I must be humble. I must be gentle. I must be patient. And fourth, I must be tolerant. I need to put up with you. Bearing with one another, forbearance, putting up with each other. It's about tolerating each other. Uh, Christianity is others-centered. It's about not get. It's about giving, not getting. We realize that we each have faults and we each have annoyances, but we put up with it because Christ Jesus puts up with me, and He puts up with you. Aren't you glad there's not like a, when, when we had our kids and we'd go on a vacation, we'd have a card that we would have there, or quarters, I don't remember what it was, we'd have, I think it was nickels, that was it. We'd give them so many nickels, and we'd travel, and each time they say, how, how much further? They had to give us a nickel. And that way they only had so many times to ask. But if they didn't ask, they got to keep all the nickels. And sometimes you could just see them sit there going, I, 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 <laughs> Is it worth the question <laughs> with it? And, and it's the kind of thing, just bearing together with one another. It's done because of love. Do you see that? And in love, Christ's love given to me extended to other people. Am I extending tolerance, patience, gentleness, the way Christ has extended it to me and continues to? Or is it the one where it's like, continue it, and then I'm like a whole different thing. No, this is living in a manner worthy that's fitting with the call. It's not ignoring sin. Love does cover a multitude of sins, 1 Peter 4.8. The term there, it's kind of like throwing a blanket over sins. Hey, married couples, you know, it's always, sometimes it's brought up about the toothpaste thing. You know, he squeezes at the top, oh, he squeezes at the bottom, or squeezes it in the middle. It just so annoys me. Answer, get two tubes of toothpaste. And squeeze it wherever you want. I mean, there's ways to work around these things with it. But tolerance, it, it, it's, it's, that's kind of the throwing a blanket over. It's like at times where it's like, you know what, Doug, he's just, you know, and it's kind of like this one, I'm just going to make a wisdom call. I'm just going to, let's keep on going. Again, at times with our kids, we would usually have something Karen and I were working on, in particular with our child on a monthly or two or three month basis. And that was the thing we were keying in on. And there were times where we just kind of, general obedience was always there, but yet there were some things we just kind of let go because we're keying in on this one right now. And we're trying to help them form this. And so we kind of throw a blanket over some of those things. But yet understand this, it's not ignoring. Matthew 18 talks about the restoration responsibility of brothers and sisters in Christ. James 5.16 talks about confess your sins to one another. 
Matthew 5, 23, the brother that has something against you, go and be reconciled. By the way, the really interesting thing about that is, is it's not even that in the context, it's not even that I've sinned against him. It's that the fact that he has something against me. I'm sorry, I had that backwards. It's not that he sinned against me. It's actually that I sinned against him. I, I'm getting all confused. But anyway, they go together. And they join it. And if you're there at the altar and you know that there's something going on, go get it right. So it's not ignoring everything, but there are those times where we just tolerate some things. And love is a choice of the heart. It's not a warm, fuzzy feeling. It's great when the warm, fuzzy feeling is there, but it's a commitment. Together requires love-driven tolerance. Well, I must be humble. Say it with me. I need Just keep on going. I can't be gentle if I'm not humble. I will not be patient if I am not a gentle person. And I will not tolerate people if I don't have patience as a characteristic of my life. Do you see the ladder rungs? I think that Paul is laying out for us. And lastly, look at what he says. I must maintain unity. I need to be one with you. Boy, that sounds like a group hug, doesn't it? No, don't worry. We're not going to do it. Verse 3, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Eager, he says. It's a diligent endeavor of mine. I work at it constantly. It's doing my best at it. I'm sparing no effort. And I just say this, do you, do I, do we literally think about as a part of this church, how's the unity doing? I've got to make sure that it's there. I'm eager about it because I don't want to lose that. I don't want to see the experience of the unity that is there gone. And it's eager to maintain. I pay attention to it. I keep it under guard. I have a responsible custody over something. And notice what is said uh, that should be a constant concern for every believer. It's unity. Joined as a whole. Harmony. I mean, here just earlier in the service, we had all, look at all these instruments. Like, they are so different. I mean, the guitar versus that guitar. The, the keyboard, the drum set, the, the, all this stuff. And boy, they take different talents. They take different skills. They, and then over here, we've got teenagers We've got Norm. We've got others here. We've got people, all men and women here, young and old here. And wasn't that cool? I just wish it was every week. Sorry, Nick. Great. Every month. Okay, buddy. Every month. All right. But here they are. And yet when they sing together, that's unity. That's harmony. So understand this. Unity is not uniformity. Unity is not uniformity. We are not trying to crank out a bunch of lemmings. Everybody's the same, talks the same, looks the same, has the same length hair, has the same amount of hair, has this, oh, that's impossible, but has this and that, you know, all this kind of stuff. And I want to tell you, that just frustrates people. God has created us uniquely as a body. This is different than this. This is different than this. It's all unique. We're trying to have it all work in harmony together. And same thing for a church. You think in a sports team, all different team members, yet they're all together for the team. 
You think in the military, men and women train for various specialties, and yet they're all together on the front. And when they don't, there's problems. You must be eager, eager to maintain unity. Also, look look at the text. It says, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. By the way, it's not about creating unity. Unity is already there in the body of Christ. The issue is maintaining it. The issue is it being actually experienced. We don't have to create unity. The Godhead is already present, if you will. God is already unified in and of himself and with a believer in Christ. The issue is, is are we carrying that out in the reality of functioning together as a body together? It's already divinely in place. The issue is, is it being experienced? And when God's people guard unity, notice there is peace. And some of you know what it's like to be in a church where there is no experienced unity and there is no peace. And the result is not the kind of result like Team Hoyt. It is catastrophe. Let's purpose not to have that be the case. We resolve problems. We pursue ahead. But notice this. Lastly, as we kind of bring this thing here home. Oh, man. Sorry. Seven theological truths. Wow, that sounds like it's going to take a half an hour. Well, let's hit this just real quick. Notice that the unity comes out of not uniformity, but of seven common theological truths. Seven common bases of understanding and truth that form the unity. One body, one universal body of believers with many local bodies that are be representations of the whole. One body. It says one spirit. Each believer is sealed, stamped, and dwelt with God's spirit. We belong to one another. We're family. But I don't like some of the members of my family. <laughs> Tolerance. Patience long suffering one body out of one body we're one body because of one spirit and we have one spirit that gives us one hope called to a common purpose of living to glorify christ as our lives conform to him and we await his return come now lord jesus please one lord we all lay claim to the same redeemer and lord of our lives one creator one lord one godhead father son holy spirit one lord One faith. We have one settled body of truth deposited in the Scriptures. Salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. One body. It's a Christologically centered belief. We're not a bunch of Buddhists, Muslims, Mormons, and others all gathering together and proclaiming the heresy that we all worship the same God. Can we all just like go wrong? That is so untruth. One faith, one baptism. This is either referring to water baptism or the baptism of the Spirit. And I think it's clearly at the time of conversion when a person comes to Jesus Christ as their Savior that the Spirit of God indwells them and seals them. One baptism and one God and Father. God is over all, working through all, and in all. Redeeming followers of Jesus Christ are children in the same family. One body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, together. That's what makes us common. Not because we like the same things. Not because we have the same hobbies. 
Well, this list is a progressing list. It's a ladder of moving up. And here's my question, just as we conclude our time in the Word and transition in the time of communion. Where are you kind of stuck on the rung of the ladder? In other words, if these genuinely are progressing traits together, where is it? Is it the humble thing? Am I just a proud man, a proud woman? Then here's my suggestion. Every day this week, go and read Ephesians chapters 1 through 3 and get the theology that we've been talking about there because you and I have nothing to gloat in other than the fact that constant, continuous walking rebels and enemies of God. Oh, but Christ, but God. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. Is that the thing or is it gentleness? Am I not a gentle person? Am I the tornado or am I the gentle breeze? And if you are, keep working at it. Keep going. And if you aren't, you need to change. You need to set some specific things. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Are you struggling with patience? Listen, none of us have these down perfectly. All agreed? None of us have these down. But we're growing and these build. Is it tolerating? Is it the whole just being aware of the unity of what's going on? Well, here's what I want to do. I want to take some time and just realize Team Hoyt, that thing is so cool. Team Hoyt is just so cool. But imagine Team Harvest. Imagine churches all over the world, and there are many of them, where they are living together unity. Together. And God uses that. God blesses that. Here's what I ask for you to do. Would you just bow your head and close your eyes? I don't do this very often. But just as we get ready to spend some time with communion, I've just got a couple questions here. And those who are going to serve communion, if you could just go ahead and come on down and get ready for that. (laughs) To me, this is like the perfect time to have communion together. Talk on the topic of together and being one as a body. And we're going to take communion together. And I would just ask for you, would you just give some thought here right now, just you and God. Where are you at? on the rung where are you at on the ladder which one of the five do you this week need to put some purpose effort in making some real changes in this week which one pick one pick one maybe just need to repent and confess for some of the sins that you've been carrying out and not doing that With your head head bowed and your eyes closed, I just, as we get prepared to take communion, I want to let you know that there's been a time in your life where you've come to know Jesus Christ as your Savior and you've repented of your sins and you've received him as your Savior. We would uh, love for you to participate in a time of communion where we remember what our Savior has done for us. When we remember that whole process of 
coming to him and his death on the cross. We're just going to take some time here and just a minute they're going to start playing some music and we're just going to take continue some quiet time together. And just when you're ready, maybe it's here in just a 30 seconds or a minute or two. We've got people stationed around the auditorium that have the cup and the bread. And I just ask if, uh, if you know Christ is your Savior, just come on up and go to one of those stations and grab a piece of bread and grab a cup and take it back to your seat with you. And then here in a while, we'll, we'll partake together, which is a good thing.